Hey, what is up, podcast listeners? Martin Hugh here, excited for another episode today as I get to receive not one, but two amazing guests on the show, David Rowlitz and Connor Hanlon from Flyfish Club. For those of you who are not familiar with this project, it's a private dining club where membership is purchased on blockchain as an NFT. That means that the only way to get in is to hold the token or come with someone that has the NFT. We really have an all-star team here. David Rollitz, who is CEO of Flyfish Club, has been in New York City hospitality for over 20 years. He's owned and operated various food and beverage establishments from James Beard nominated restaurants to fast casual concepts, iconic bars and nightlife venues. Connor, who is EVP of operations, has worked in some of the best restaurants in the country and found himself alongside legends. And I mean legends such as Daniel Boulud. He was a culinary director for NoHo Hospitality and moved to NYC in 2015 to join the corporate team, which oversees 17 restaurants in the U.S. The other two founders, Gary V. as chairman of Flyfish Club, needs no intro, serial entrepreneur, marketing legend, all-time operator and inspiration, as well as Chef Josh Capon, who is chief culinary officer of Flyfish Club, a highly decorated celebrity chef and television personality. Being from the restaurant industry, I definitely enjoyed this episode as so many points hit home for me. I got to learn a lot from their mindset as well as their perspective on hospitality. It is my pleasure to share this episode with you today. So without further ado, ladies and gents, please enjoy my conversation with David Rodelitz and Connor Hanlon. All right, this is exciting. We have uh, David Rodelitz and Connor Hanlon from Flyfish Club here today. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. I thought we would start with a question that came to mind as I was preparing for this conversation. And that is, how did you guys come up with the idea for Flyfish Club so early in the game with NFTs, you know, back then, like I think it was a year ago, nothing was done of that sort. So can you walk us through how all those moving parts came together? What was the aha moment that started this new venture? Sure. Um, we came out early, uh, like you said. Our partner, Gary, was already becoming a trailblazer in the Web3 and NFT space. This dated back to last March, over a year ago. And Gary had a good sense of the market, uh, of what he thought this was going to be, and kind of tasked the partners to give it a lot of thought, learn a lot, get educated, and, and see if there's a use case for the hospitality industry while leveraging NFTs and Web3. To step back a drop, though, our, our entire hospitality company is based on the idea of leveraging media and technology in all facets of food and beverage. So, you know, this was already something, you know, we didn't know it was going to be NFTs and this was going to be our first application, but there was, there was always a lens of trying to incorporate media or technology. NFTs became, you know, a very relevant topic. Gary felt compelled that it would be important. You know, myself, Connor, Josh learned as much as we could very quickly, wrote up a lot of different ideas from different experiences to, you know, events to the one we landed on, on this members club idea that we've all, you know, been a part of our whole lives. We've frequented other ones generally, you know, enjoyed that type of community, but thought there was probably a better way to go about it and had that aha moment that, you know, NFTs authenticate ownership. You could change something that's been around forever and convert a typical membership model, which is essentially just renting a social experience into a asset for the people that bought their memberships. They own it. 
you know, they could use it, they could sell it, they could do what they wanted to their asset. We kind of had that moment, we leaned into it, started build, building a dev team, leveraged some of Gary's resources. He was already going about this with vFriends. So we had the fortunate support of a lot of the decisions he already made with vFriends. We secured a company called Nameless, which was our Web3 partner that um, was, best, was best in class at this and just started building, didn't look back, you know, built the financial model, built the usability around it, um, the size of the space, you know, and really just kind of geeked out on it, wrote out all the FAQs and spent months developing. And, you know, that was, uh, and then we're around the US Open time, uh, Connor and Capon conceptualized a concept for the US Open called Flyfish, which was a casual seafood concept. Uh, we're at the U.S. Open having a lot of fun seeing this brand come to life, um, you know, really seeing the creative elements, you know, the logo, the branding, you know, interact with people. And we felt that it had legs. Connor, myself and Josh were also, you know, in the name game for about three months trying to figure out what was the name of Flyfish Club. We, I think it was longer. We had late night calls. We had, you know, a lot of jam sessions on it. Couldn't figure it out. We're at the U.S. Open. Flyfish came to life and said, let's add the word club to it, iterate on that, change the logo a bit and make make there be an elevated version of that, a sister concept. You know, fly fishing in general, fly, you know, the name Flyfish came about because of Connor's passions, which Connor could speak to. So it just kind of kept building upon each other. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of all happened organically. As David mentioned, when we first started VCR, we were our kind of mission statement was to leverage uh, media and technology within the hospitality space. So we were building out content with Josh. We were, it was just kind of, you know, coming out of the lockdown era of the pandemic. And so we were talking about ghost kitchens, the success thereof. Should we venture into these things? We look at the business model of restaurants, knowing that the EBITDA is always very challenging as you and I were just talking about offline Martin, because you're in the restaurant space as well, that staffing has become incredibly challenging. Bottom line margins are challenging. And so we were looking at a way to break the mold and do something different. We were looking at direct consumer products, building content, brand partnerships, all these different ways to leverage technology. And at the same time, Gary was really deeping, d- diving deep into this Web3 space. Uh, and so as restaurant tours, what we've always done is really tangible in real life experiences. So we started you know, identifying different ways to do an NFT project. It started with experiences. As Roddy mentioned, the name game is always challenging, I think. Like, it's even if you have a kid, you argue with your partner, what are you going to name the kid? Like, <laughs> what are you going to name your restaurant? And, and nobody can ever really, really align. And then when you do find the name, likely that good name has been used. It's been trademarked. There's copyright infringements. There's issues. So all this is happening. We we're building the NFT kind of project and then the backbone to it, the roadmap to it, what the infrastructure was going to look like. At the same time, we were already doing this pop-up at the u.s open and we and we were given this space which was this grandfathered in oyster bar and again we wanted to shift the narrative a little bit and do a global seafood bar and do hawaiian pokes and peruvian cerditos and ceviches new england style lobster rolls mexican crab tostadas and do this kind of global seafood bar i'm a big fly fisherman we were struggling with a name for that and Roddy said just let's just call it fly fish you love fly fishing so we started to build the IP and the brand around it. And we named that Flyfish, which is similar to the logo on your hat right now, minus the club. The color scheme and everything we did for the U.S. Open, we built awnings, T-shirts on the back of the shirts for our employees. It says, stay fly, make waves. 
all this stuff. And people really gravitated towards it and liked the branding and the IP. And as we're really struggling to come up with a name, I mean, you should hear some of these names. Honestly, in retrospect, some of them were hilarious. Uh, I mean, our, our partner Josh isn't on the call, but at one point he really liked the name Starfish and like <laughs> funny names. We Josh and I as chefs really enjoy cooking seafood. Um, I think that I enjoy cooking everything, but fish I gravitate towards because it's very delicate. You have to cook it all minute. And so Josh felt the same and we wanted to open a restaurant that was based around seafood. Uh, and so as we struggled with the names, uh, we said, you know what? People really love this logo, the branding. They wanted the hats. And Roddy said, let's just put club at the bottom. We already have the logo. We own the IP. And honestly, it took off. It felt natural. And uh, so that's how we that's how we landed on the name. Very cool. And I know, um, so David, this is more uh, specific to you. I know early on, one of your companies that you founded was called Impulse Productions, an event planning business. How are you thinking of implementing events, whether they be private or public, into a project such as Fly Fish Club? And how will that change once the restaurant is open? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that this was on the back of Impulse, but it really wasn't. Like, you know, as entrepreneurs and hospitality guys and you know, always being around people and spaces, you know, it, it was quite obvious that events and community were, were going to be important. And as the NFT and the, you know, Web3 and, you know, that whole crypto world is on the backbone of Discord. And, you know, there, there's a sense of community and people being together, whether it's digitally, physically. So we just felt very compelled that event programming, you know, essentially every night we're putting on events at our restaurants, right? Like, you know, guests come in, they have a certain expectation, you hope to exceed those expectations. You're putting on a show and curating an experience. They they could easily eat at their home for a fifth of a price without any travel or inconvenience. So why are they going there? They're going there for entertainment. So I think we just naturally felt very comfortable with event planning. Yes, I started an event planning company when I was, you know, 20 years old that is still operating today, but this really wasn't about impulse productions by any means. It was about, you know, community, a certain skill set and enjoyment that Connor, myself, Gary and Josh had. And also, you know, we knew the timeline that it was going to take to build out Fly Fish Club. Um, and always, unfortunately, things always get delayed. And, you know, that, that's just a natural process when you do things of scale and you do things that have never been done before. So the only way we felt comfortable coming out, making such bold statements, being the first, and also doing a transaction with people was to provide a roadmap that had real utility, not, not fluff stuff, not, hey, we're going to be in a Discord, not just virtual events, but tangible things that cost a lot of money where we could be with people in real life, spend time with them, get to know them. And we delivered this roadmap of dozen plus, you know, I would say premier events and I'd argue that we're amongst the best utility-based NFT project. You know, we're doing really thoughtful things. We're leaning into the culinary stuff. We're leaning into the entertainment. We're having fun. And, you know, that's where that came about. In regards to the future, there'll always be things happening outside of the restaurant. Um, they're also never going to replicate, you know, identically what we've done previously because we're creative. We like doing new stuff. And, you know, we want to keep it fresh. That being said, I think there'll be some staples that will remain each year that probably become trademarks of, you know, the Flyfish Club. Um, you know, Connor was obsessed with the bubble boat. Capon was obsessed with the bubble boat. 
there's a good shot that the bubble boat will remain possibly forever. Outside of that, you know, there's going to be, you know, a blend of all new experiences, you know, that continue to make it innovative, fresh and creative. So in total, you have 3,035 tokens of which there are two tiers, Flyfish and Flyfish Omakase. You've held back more than 1,500 of those tokens. Are these going to be reserved as a buffer to see what type of demand will be present at the opening of the restaurant? I, I'm going to jump in for a second. I think that there's it's more nuanced than that. I mean, we really discussed this as, as it's never been done. We wanted to have some upfront sales. We did have our initial pre-sale whitelist, if you will, of kind of loyal followers and people that followed our careers in the hospitality industry and close friends. And then we did our public launch and we wanted to reserve that um, for various reasons. One, Martin, as you mentioned, is a buffer to identify how many people are showing up to the restaurant each night. And we want to ensure that our members have access. You know, there is some membership clubs that oversell and they sell 17,000 memberships and then members pay this this fee, annual fee each year, and then they can't get a reservation at the club that they're a member at. So that was part of it. Another part of it was that when we launched this club in the NFT space, unlike other membership clubs, there's no vetting process. Nobody vouches for you. There's no application. So we really didn't know who the community was. And Martin, you and I had talked about this in the past and that membership clubs typically get perceived as being exclusive. Uh, And I think what was unique about our approach is that Anybody can join it. So in fact, we're very inclusive. Anybody can be a member of Fly Fish Club. Now, that being said, we're also in the restaurant tour space. Uh, Roddy's been in the nightclub space as well over the years. We've all been in hospitality for a number of years, hotels as well. And so there's a lot of people that we want to make sure have access to the club. We want to reserve a certain number of tokens so that as the club builds, And someone says, hey, it's all sold out. I really want to be a member. And we feel that that person is a value add to our club and the rest of our members are going to take value from that. We can then transact with them and make sure that they get a membership and sell them. So it's almost a reserve so that we can make sure that anybody we think who's going to really be positive impact on this club can be a part of it. As you mentioned, like we we did talk about it and I like the the fact that it wasn't just hospitality itself. It was really a true merge of hospitality and what NFT is adding onto it as to building community. You did such a great job with throwing these events where, you know, I felt like every member that was there, whether it was the one in the Hamptons or the one at VCon, every member that was there, we naturally already gravitated toward each other because we have filtered through all the projects we could be a part of, but this one spoke to us. So there's a certain sense of community that's being built there that uh, I'm very excited to see how that membership plays out. Yeah, I would, you know, just to piggyback on that, I couldn't agree more. Like our members are spending time with each other outside of the events that we produce. Every time we pop up somewhere, there are satellite events happening that are, you know, not produced by us, but produced by, you know, the community. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see. It's definitely, we hope something like that would happen, but couldn't have expected it to have turned into what it has so far. I mean, when we when we set out to do a membership club, we thought about what is the real value proposition of a membership club and that, you know, hopefully people come to build community, build friends, enjoy great food and beverage, uh, and then feel like they're a part of something. And, and without even having the physical space built out already, just through these in-person events, as Roddy mentioned, we do have all these people getting together. I mean, we a few of our members got together in Scotland recently to go play golf, which I just thought was 
Yeah. Wild. And Very so, cool. you know, so these people are getting together all over. And one of the things that we feel is, is the founders is that we weren't sure who our members were going to be until we showed up to the first event. So that first event at Bubble Boat, never seen any faces, only like little avatars in the Discord of what people in their names and, and Discord are like Laser Finger 75 and, you know, ETH God and all these things. We don't know who these people are until we see them in real life. And honestly, everybody's been so kind. Uh, so passionate about the project and just really created a great community. And we're really grateful for that. We all know that for most businesses to thrive, it needs repeat customers. So how are you thinking about this when designing the concept in order to, to ensure that people don't just come once or like, you know, once a year or like once every two years, but would be enticed to come back, say like uh, two, three or four times a week? Um, a couple of things. You know, first, those those held back tokens are only meant for local people, you know, so obviously the more local you are, the more likely that you are to come there often than to travel into town for it. Second and most important is just pure execution. We do a good job and we provide a fun, enjoyable, you know, thoughtful experience. People are going to want to come back. We build our businesses based on repeat customers you know, trying to get new trial and new customers every week is very challenging. Trying to get people to come back and be repeats is more valuable. So, I mean, my entire career was based off touching tables and trying to take somebody's experience from an eight to a 10, making them feel appreciated, saying thank you, giving them an extra, you know, thing outside of service, which is essentially the definition of hospitality going above and beyond, not doing the normal steps of service. Like, of course, the steps of service are important, but show people that you're human. Show them that you're grateful for them being there. Acknowledge their anniversary. Give them a special treat. Call them an Uber. You know, do little wow moments that, for me, were always important. I know Connor and Josh, you know, similarly, like, their entire careers were also, you know, based on that. Josh would literally just walk over to every single guest in the restaurant his restaurants were based on regulars that were there four to five days a week. It's a better business model. It's more fun. It feels less transactional. And you get to build relationships with people. And I also think that the, the nice thing about being a member's club is that hopefully the hostess, the bartender, the server, they know you by name. They know your favorite cocktail. Hopefully it becomes a home away from home that you want to come to on multiple times a week. And I also think that from an operator's perspective, when we set out to design the space, when I go out to dine, I think about the experiences that I like. Sometimes I want to go to a, a restaurant that's very convivial that I feel comfortable in that I want to go to two, three times a week. Sometimes I want to go have a really opulent special experience. And sometimes I want to be in a really small, intimate omakase space. So when we design the big bar with more casual bites versus the dining room for members in, in this more opulent space with more steps of service, and then the omakase room, we're trying to really cover the basis of all the different experiences that you look for when you go out to dine. And so that hopefully as a member, you can say, I'm in the mood to be a little bit more relaxed tonight and just hang out in the bar with some other members and have some, some casual bites, or I'm going to go have omakase in the back, or I'm going to be in the main dining room and have a different experience. And hopefully we can cast a broad enough net for all those different experiences where people just feel comfortable and always want to come. That's very cool. And that's a great point that, 
I think like a lot of interior designers when making, you know, designing restaurants or bars are not thinking about enough is that, you know, I kind of want to go into a restaurant and have a different experience every time. doesn't mean the food is changing, but depending on where I'm sitting, it could be a completely different experience. So it never feels like it's too repetitive. Yeah, completely. The NFT that you guys have launched, Flyfish Club, it's a token that is utility based. Basically, it's a membership that you can own as an actual asset that people can own, trade and even lease. Can you go into more details of how that leasing system will work? The original inspiration of it was to just get, you know, the club is based on people being there, as we've discussed. The leasing program was the idea that if people are out of town or they're traveling over the months of the summer, or they spend it at another house or whatever it may be, we're so focused on, hey, we need we need people to have butts in seats right now. So the leasing mechanism was a way that, you know, a token just didn't go useless for a month and allowed you to kind of transfer your permission of the token and your use of it to somebody else, while also giving discovery and enjoyment and a little dabble, a little taste of Fly Fish Club to somebody that might be, you know, on the fence about it or might be moving into New York and wanted to try it. So it kind of it kind of hit both sides of it. This it's turned into this, you know, passive income and everybody's talking about how we're going to monetize and this and that. And that's not the inspiration. It wasn't the intent. Um, you know, is it is it a potentially a ancillary benefit of it? Sure but that's not how it was conceptualized. It was all conceptualized around utility and just making mm -hmm. sure that, you know, where we're getting people to enjoy the club and getting new people to try the club. Ironically, we didn't really think about it from the consumer's perspective that they would, that, that they would analyze this as a passive income asset, right? Mm -hmm. We thought about it as operators that own and run restaurants. Now, if you have 3000 members and a large part of your demographic goes to the Hamptons or Cape Cod or out East for the summer. Well, then you still have to supply people to come dine at the restaurant to ensure that you have good servers, good bussers, good cooks, good hostesses. Like, as you know, Martin, you're in the restaurant industry and we were just speaking offline about how challenging staffing is right now in the industry. I think that we want to ensure that the caliber of staff that we provide to our members goes above and beyond. And that our members are happy with not just the food and the build out, but the service that they get when they're there. And so in order to ensure that we retain that top quality talent, we need to ensure that they're getting paid their tips and their hourly wages. And the business has to be sustainable uh, as a standalone business. So we need butts and seats to do that. And a big part of the, our, the New York demographic does go away for the summer. And we wanted to make sure that we could then lease for a month at a time to not dilute uh, and have new people in every single night because that dilutes the purpose of being a members club. We never thought about it from a perspective of uh, I could use this to monetize and make a lot of money. Now, on the flip side, a lot of the community has looked at it that way. And we have people in the discord saying, oh, I'm going to buy up 10 tokens, 10 memberships and just lease them all the time. Uh, that's not really what we were looking to do by any means, because that dilutes the, the, the community aspect of being a part of a members club. Right. And one thing that I was thinking about when as I was researching Flyfish and thinking about memberships, from what I understand is that the only way to get in is to own the token or come with someone that owns the token, right? Yep. So how will the person that owns the token, how will they feel special when they bring a group of people there? I think it's like anything. I think you'll feel special because 
you're essentially the gatekeeper, but you're also sharing an experience with other people. I mean, I can only speak for myself. When I find something that I like, something that I'm enjoying, a new restaurant, a gadget, a new TV show, you know, human beings and social creatures are, in my opinion, used to sharing that and promoting that, you know, with other people that they think would enjoy it. Like we feed off that, right? You, you feed off getting somebody else hooked on your favorite show or a new dish or a new sushi restaurant. So I, th I think that this is, you know, it's a part of social currency or you're kind of sharing and flexing what you like and who you are and what you have access to while also inviting them into your, you know, new home or your new club. And, you know, so I think people are going to take pride in it and appreciate that they're the ones that are the gatekeepers of the, of the reservation. And I think everything is also about um, being recognized and feeling special and important. And, you know, we had somebody ask in one of our, uh, our, our wine classes the other day with Gary, you know, what's, what, what makes a member feel special? And I think about when you go to a restaurant and the chef comes to your table and drops something extra or the GM touches your table, most guests tend to feel a little bit extra special by that. I think the difference here is that, Martin, we know you by a first name basis, right? We've seen you at multiple of our events as a member. So when you come to the restaurant, we know you. You know, we know your girlfriend. We know we know uh, what you do, where you live, what your businesses are. We, we know you by a first name basis. So I don't think there's anything in the hospitality space that's more special than when you come into a member's club and everybody knows you and other members know you. And as you walk through the room, everyone's like, hey, Martin, how are you? Nice to see you. And, and you and you build with them. You talk business, you talk relationships, you talk family. So if you have guests with you and everybody in that whole dining room knows you and, and the service staff knows you and the guests know you, I think it probably makes them say, wow, this, this is a special place. This person's VIP. No, for sure. And and like you were saying, like just the custom approach of knowing what someone's favorite drink is, why, where they like to sit, uh, you know, what kind of allergies they have, you know, uh, when's their birthday, like all these little touches, they add up so much to the experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a follow-up question with this, like you, you brought up before, like the staffing, having good staff is part of that whole experience, having good cooks, having good bartenders, having good GMs, having good uh, managers, being veterans in the hospitality industry, what have you found is the best way to find and keep good people in your team? My, my, mine is simple. Just treat, treat people well. Take care of your team. You know, provide real culture. You know, don't just check the box on culture, which are, you know, providing a good wage and giving them health benefits. And all those things are super important. But that's like a base uh, requirement. Most of the people that work for me throughout my career work for me for five, seven, ten years. When I heard a manager, you know, was away from his family during Thanksgiving, because a lot of our teams have to work on the holidays that other people are enjoying, I'd invite those managers over for dinner on Thanksgiving. I think it's about being kind and taking care of people. If you really do that and look after one another and really care about your team, who is on the front lines taking care of your guests, I think it, it goes a long way. They want to be there. They want to promote your you know, your brand, your concept, they want to do the best job that they can. So I think culture just has to be really true. I agree with that. I, I think I've had great success in just generally getting to know all my employees over the years. Um, you know, people work for you regardless of the level that they work at, whether they're, you know, a director of operations or a dishwasher. I think getting to know them in their personal life and not, 
intermingling that in any sense, but like if somebody's, you know, mom is sick or their wife or, or whatever it may be. And you, you know, that you acknowledge that you touch base with your team, you care about them, you're empathetic towards their needs and their lifestyle. And maybe everyone's in a different position in life. And so I think that just really actually getting to know your people and caring about them and letting know that you know them. And I think that's always what worked well for me. You know, I've had people call in sick and say, chef, I can't make it to work today. You know, my mom's really sick. I have to take her to the hospital. You know, the next day when they show up to work, instead of just saying, being like, hey, okay, tonight we're looking at 150 covers, you're working pasta, yada, yada, yada. If the first thing you do is pull them aside and say, how's your mom? Is everything okay? I think that goes a long ways. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think daily check-ins outside of like steps of service, how many covers, VIPs coming in, like, what's up? Like, you cool today? You look a little upset. Is everything all right? And I also think the other thing that worked for me for a while, especially during like the MPON days was, you know, if you're looking for people when you need people, you're probably in trouble. And then <laughs> at that point, you're, you're kind of under the gun. You're, you're, you're probably not patient because you need to hire a new manager. You need to hire a new line cook. You need to hire a new sous chef. And the, most of the time that leads to decisions that might not be the best decision because there's something else happening there. There's a sense of urgency, right? So my way was always just meet people, get to know people when you're not looking for people. You know, like that's always like, I always had my GMs and director of ops kind of in the pipeline for a year before. Getting to know them, see them in action, become friendly with them. Like again, and just kind of understand who they are, what they like, what they're good at. And then if or when that position opens up, you naturally have something that's in line with what that person's strengths are rather than trying to jam something in, you know, that might not work. You know, just because someone's a GM doesn't mean that they could be a GM for you. Does their personality match? Are they used to working in Midtown? Do they like to wear a suit and tie? All of those things, those nuances are very important. So and I think if you understand somebody and spend time with that person when you ultimately don't need that person you actually understand who they are and understand which one of your businesses you know if you have you know multiple restaurants you have some scale you know you could determine if they're better fit for your casual bistro downtown or they're better for your power lunch spot in midtown all of those things set people up for success better I, and I want to piggyback on that. I think that Roddy's point is correct. And, and I find that one of my other successes with, with mentoring employees is that everybody's different. And so if you get in the mindset as an employer, as a boss, a chef, or whatever you are, if you feel like your way is the only way and everyone has to then convert to your ways, I think you're going to fail. I think that you have to be able to read people very well if you're going to grow a big team and everybody's different. So identifying what motivates one person may not motivate the other person. Some people need to be coddled. Some people need to be um, very affirmative with them. You need to, some people like actually being very direct, like, no, you did a terrible job. I need this out of you. And some people that may make them fold and they want to be pulled aside and built back up all the time. At the end of the day, you also have to identify what are the strengths in each person and what are the weaknesses? And then how do you coax the best results out of each person? Because everybody's different. And so you as the, as the entrepreneur, as the operator, have to look at everybody differently and identify how are you going to change to get the best results out of each one of your team members. I love that. I love the fact that like, it's, it's not just about 
finding like the person that's, that's the most qualified for the job, but it's also, is it a good fit for wherever they're working at? Because if they're unhappy, they won't be happy while serving the customers. And that reflects on the service. 100%. And I think like, it's funny that you guys, like, as you speak, there's so much similarities with how Gary talks about his uh, strategy for marketing and for, you know, hiring and, and, and treating people. Like basically one of, one of like the, the quotes that I love the most from him is, is uh, the best marketing strategy is caring. And I think like that strategy just like transcends over so many different facets of life. Dude, it's not just about marketing. It's so simple. It's really so simple. People have options. It's not by accident that Connor and I are on this call with you and that we're aligned and Capon is a partner and we're partners with Gary. Like, you know, this is not by accident. Connor could be working with any group or owning and partnering with any group that he wants. Josh is a decorated celebrity chef that people adore. He could be doing a solo project. He could be working with other people. Like you, you gravitate towards people that are good people. We wanted to work with one another. We wanted to take care of one another. We believe in the same philosophies. That's going to help you lead and do good things together. Gary definitely doesn't need another business. Gary is very busy. But, you know, we share a lot of thoughts on kindness and empathy and accountability. And, you know, let's have some fun together. You got one life. Have a good time. Work hard. Put your head down. Create value and, you know, and do it. So that's why we're all partners. And you know, it's funny when you say you got one life, I think about the, the phases and the different lives within my life, right? And we got to where we're at right now. And as, as David mentioned, we want to work together. We share a similar thought process and outlook on business and life. But I probably wasn't always this way, nor was David probably at some point. And so you go through these phases of life. And so everybody who's eager to say, well, how do I get to here right now? This is what we're here for, man. It's life. It's a process of learning curves and identifying what works and what doesn't work. And you're constantly evolving into a new person until you get to a space where you say, this is, this feels right. This feels comfortable. This is how I want to continue to operate moving forward. Inspiring stuff. As we move forward with Flyfish Club, what's on the radar? What, what are the, the events coming up that people should be on the lookout for? I mean, we just released our, our last... Outside of the, the last Flyfish Omakase event at Ito, which we're still uh, waiting to release the final date for 2022, and the last virtual wine tasting with Gary, the last real large-scale physical event is the one we released the other day at Tau. You know, we're, we're doing our, our final bash at Tau Nightclub downtown. Um, we got a lot of good surprises in store for that one. As we said earlier, we're developing all of the ideas for 2023 now, not many that we could share yet, you know, so it's still a little early before we're going to release it, but follow our social, follow Discord and, you know, you'll get a good glimpse of it. But I promise that they'll be fun. They'll be educational. There'll be great food. There'll be a lot of smiles. We're going to, we're going to do what we do. Amazing. Looking forward to it. Any of our members listening, the next wine class with Gary V, we're going to rebrand it as just hanging out with Gary V because a lot of people came out to us and said, I don't drink wine, so I don't, I don't, I'd love to be on the class. You don't have to drink wine. Just come hang out and chop it up with us. Talk. It's, that's, it's fun. All right. I'll be there. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to do this today and a really enlightened discussion. Like as I'm listening to you guys, like I'm getting inspired and, and uh, I feel like there's so much more that we have to build in this space. 
And with hospitality moving forward, human connection has been more and more important, especially during the pandemic. We've realized how much it's important to talk to other people and to meet up. And uh, you guys are doing great at, at uh, being at the forefront of this movement in the NFT space. It's been a pleasure being here today. And I think just on that point, you know, it is very important. It's important to say yes to people and try to help them out with their journey as well. Like, sure, we're busy, but, you know, we met you at our Hamptons event. You were awesome. You're a member. You're a great guy. You're kind. You're in the industry and you're trying to bring awareness and, you know, do your thing. And if everybody just stays in their lane and is super transactional, it's just, it's sterile and it's not kind. And, you know, there's a better way. So thank you for having us. Hopefully this provides value to your community. We enjoyed it today and uh, looking forward to spending more time with you on the fly fish front. And we'll see you soon. Thanks guys. Thanks, Martin. It was a pleasure as always. Take care, Mark. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a review for me. Um, it's always super helpful to get that kind of feedback uh, of what I'm doing right, what I could improve. And uh, so if you can take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. And uh, until next time.